Hi, I'm Adewale Adejumo. I build businesses and I also teach people how to take control of their lives. You are listening to the Epilogue Buddha podcast where I'll be bringing you some of the best personal growth mentors and entrepreneurs on the planet. And they will be sharing the best ideas on personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. A word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by dropstore.co.za. If you want to start an online e-commerce business, Dropstore helps you create an online website and it helps you find products from suppliers to sell on your online store, add them to your online store, and ship them directly to your customers easily. You will never have to pay upfront for an inventory, which keeps your risks very low. Visit dropstore.co.za to find products or to distribute your products to the thousands of resellers on the platform. Use Dropstore to start and grow your online business today. Hey everyone, Adewale here. Welcome to Apple Life Builder Podcast. My guest today is known as the Capacity Architect because he saves company founders years of headache, heartache, and lost opportunities by working them through his proven system for achieving unparalleled success without all of the stress that comes that usually comes with success. And I'm referring to business success because there is on one side what you guys think will happen when you become successful. And then on the other end, what the reality of success really looks like for majority of people. Because it can be very stressful, including ups and downs, um, that sometimes you cannot figure out why everything just seems to be going wrong. And you wish you have answers, which brings me to my next guest. Um, my guest today, his name is Scott Reitheimer. Am I pronouncing them correctly? Yeah, we're pretty close. Rittimer. Rittimer. I like it. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, Scott, like this topic today is actually um, like for me, because I'm an entrepreneur, right? Uh, I would really, and, I, and, and I've been where a lot of entrepreneurs are, where they're achieving success. And the reality of success is not the same as what we all think success is going to um, like look like, because of several reasons, which you are probably more, um, <laughs> um, like, which you probably have a lot more insights to than I do. What is the reason that you find that the reality of what people think is gonna happen when, when, uh, when a company starts to grow is very different to the reality that they actually face? Yeah, it really comes down to, particularly in the entrepreneurial founder space, it, it comes down to the fact that as your business grows, you have to as well. And what we've actually found is that there are seven distinct stages that a business will go through. And as the leader, you have to show up in a different way to not only continue the success, but to actually enjoy it. And so what we tend to do is we get really good at what got us to where we are, but we fail to take that next evolutionary step forward as leaders. And what happens is we start trying to lead our business. We start trying to lead our life in a way that's incongruent with what it takes to lead at that stage. And so it's that mismatch that, um, that is really challenging. Now, what makes it so hard to put our finger on and why it's so stressful and why we feel it so much is because what we're doing was working. You know, we actually get to that place, not because we did something wrong, but because we did something right. And it's like, 
how do you process that? You know, with, without having been down that road before, without having someone else who's shown you that the road turns here, uh, it, it can be very, very confusing for someone uh, who's a founder, who's, who's been successful, who's enjoyed that success, who's doing the same thing that they were doing when they were enjoying success, but now they don't like it. They may even hate it. You know, I, I talk to folks, uh, you know, they're running multi-million dollar businesses. They've got great teams. Things are awesome. You know, look at from the outside and you're like, man, you've got it made. It, you know, it's just yeah. everything is is wonderful, but they're dying inside. And, and it really comes down to that idea of, you know, are we leading in the way that we need to lead to move forward? Or have we outlived the, the leadership strategy of the past stage? I just want to go back to the to the different stages yeah what are those different stages that a company usually goes through that's great that question new owners need to be aware of yeah let's uh spend a little bit more time on the front half because there's those are the ones that you know in the entrepreneurial space we spend more time there the very first one early struggle right it's and it is that it's it's just this existential fight for survival. It, it, you know, when we think of the hard part of being an entrepreneur, we tend to think of early struggle. You're trying to get the business off the ground. Early struggle is like the rocket on the launch pad and the engines are burning. There's smoke, there's fire, there's energy, there's noise, but the rocket's still just there kind of shuddering on the launch pad. It, it hasn't built up enough power to get up off the ground yet. That's what it's like to be an early struggle. You know, as a founder, you know, early struggle is like, you know, we kind of glorify entrepreneurism, but it's really like trying to, you know, you wake up in the morning, you go find a sharp edge and you just kind of bang your head off of it. because <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's just, you know, it's punishing. You know, my favorite definition for an entrepreneur is someone who leaves a job working 40 hours for someone else to go work 80 hours for themselves yeah. and not make any money in the process. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's what uh, early struggle feels like. Now, the question is, what's the struggle about? It's about finding what we would call a profitable, sustainable market. It's really, you know, it's, there's lots of different strategies, but it really boils down to can you find new people who are willing to pay enough for whatever you provide to do it on a sustainable basis? And once you've found that, it takes a while. Usually you get it wrong three or four times before you finally find that market. But once you find that market, uh, then it's time to shift gears from you know exploring and new options and new stuff to mining the market. It's about you know you find what works and then you do that again and again and again. And when you do it again and again and you do it uh, at least relatively well, you know it, yeah. we like to think that it's perfect. Nothing is perfect in early struggle, but it's it's good enough to be great in the eyes of your uh, of your clients. When you do that enough, you start to start bringing in money. You know, you start to get to that point where uh, you've, you're in the black, you know, you're not losing money every month. And then you start to get to the place where you can afford to pay the people that are working for you without coming out of your savings. And then you get to the place where you can even start taking a little bit of money yourself. And it's at that point where you're profitable enough, uh, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, where you're profitable enough to pay yourself. Uh, what you were making before, that's when you move into the second stage that we call fun. And fun is the reward of early struggle. It, it's that stage where things just work. Um, when you're deep in fun, it, it's not easy. 
it, it's not, uh, it's not something that that's automatic. Like your success is, you know, you don't have to do anything. It's hard, hard work, but you're winning. You know, it's, it's one thing to play hard and, and you know, give it all you've got in the game and then lose that's early struggle. You know, it, it's mm. another thing to give it all you've got and get that ball across the finish line in the final, you know, couple of seconds and win, you I, know, and, I think and it's so also it's, important to mention that winning stage as well is also um, I also see it as as a arrogant stage as well where a lot of people become really arrogant and be and you are yeah you're a hundred percent right we start to develop Icarus syndrome right we we get closer and closer to the sun and there's this idea that we have as founders um, because we're like we figured it out. We're stealing, uh, we're stealing clients from the big guys, you know, like there's this sense that you can do no wrong. Mm. And, and there's, uh, you know, you're just winning again and again and again and again. But the truth is it's an illusion of control. We, we think we've got it figured out. And to an extent that's true. You have figured out how to get out of early struggle. And most people don't do that. 80, 90% of people never get to that point. And so we are talking about people who have been and are highly successful, but they aren't in control. Mm. And you know, proof of that, one, leave for a month and see what happens to your business, right? It's, yeah. it's massively dependent on you. Um, lose your best sales rep and see what happens, mm. right? Um, have, have three bad months in a row and see how your cash holds up. Yeah, to that, you know, it's, we're right on the cusp. It doesn't feel like it because we're winning and we're, we're getting across that finish line again and again, but we are right on the cusp of failure throughout that whole thing. And so you're right. We start to develop as, especially as founders or leaders in these organizations that are just, you know, some of them are, are hitting double and triple digit growth. Hmm. But why, you know, what's, what's your market share at the beginning of, of fun? It, you know, we, we, we have a very technical term for it. It is 2% of the square root of squat. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not much, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, going from one to two is 100% growth. And we're like, yeah. But it's like, we really just went from one to two. You know, we went from two to five or five to 10. And, and what starts to happen inside the organization is that as you get more and more clients, as you get more and more employees, as you get more and more SKUs in your product book, um, you know, the organization starts getting more and more complex. And the reality of it is, is the organization is not built to handle that complexity. Your leadership style is not built to handle complexity. It's built to, to move quickly. And that's what you do. That's how you win in fun. There's, not, there's actually 100% right, but it's not control, right? Mm, and and so, again, you nailed it on the arrogance thing. And, um, and arrogance may be harsh. Uh, it's true, but it may also just be a naivety, you know, like you, you just don't realize it. Hmm. I like to use the example of, um, uh, I think you live closer to the ocean than I do. So this, this probably doesn't actually happen, but let's just roll with it. I can see the ocean. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to drive quite a ways, but uh, just bear with me through my bad metaphor because it, it, it is helpful um, in explaining what's going on. Fun is like you got a motorboat, you're out on the ocean and you use, you know, you gun it to get to the top of the wave. Mm. You know, you're up on top of the breaker and, and all of a sudden it's like you can see everything. You know, from on top of the wave, everything looks good. And then you start care, being carried by the momentum of the wave. And you're just going faster and faster and faster and faster. And you don't realize it, but the engine cut out a long time ago. Hmm. Right. And, and you're just being carried by the wave. And so you're sitting there top of the wave. Things are good. You know, king of the world, you know, and and then all of a sudden the wave comes down. And where do you, you come down with it? And that happens in every single successful business ever. And that's actually the third and, stage of the process that we call whitewater. And how do you overcome that? Like, what can a founder do to prevent something like that from happening to them? Because from what I've also seen as well, it is something that affects almost every single business. And a lot of people just do not one, do not know how to overcome it. They always think it is some outside force that is trying to prevent them from achieving the success. That that's you know, I know people that will go as far as going to traditional healers like Sangomas or shamans or yeah. something, and they believe that maybe it's some like supernatural force, you know, where uh, whereas the solution to their problem lies with them. How, how can people overcome this, this, um, this almost getting close to the sun and crashing? Yeah. How do you prevent it as well? It's a great question. Uh, the bad news is you don't. You don't prevent it. Uh, now, you don't have to die, right? It's not the last stage of the cycle. It's only stage three. I have a lot of folks who will come to me, you know, business owners, and, and they're pretty desperate at this point. And they're like, Scott, I, I think this is it. You know, like I think I've taken the business as far as it can go. I, I, I think I, I think it's probably over. You know, I, I got to sell or I got to wind it down and do something else. I think it's done. They think they're in stage seven, which is death rattle. But the truth is they're actually only one stage away. They're on the cusp of the most profitable time, the most uh, scalable period in their business life cycle, which is stage four. We'll get to that in a second. So to answer your question directly, you actually don't prevent it. Mm. Um, what you want to do is minimize it. Uh, you don't want to spend a lot of time there right? You can't skip a stage. We'd love to. I wish I could, you know, I wish I had a silver bullet that everyone could skip whitewater because it's, it's, not, it's not a fun period of time. But you can't prevent it. And because here's why. So the way that you get out of whitewater is by adding systems and processes. It's, it's, it's the most boring thing that I could ever tell you, but, <laughs> but it, it's, it's exactly what has to happen. Now, there are specific systems and processes, uh, and, and um, we don't need to get into that because we'll bore everybody. There's, there's a ton of free content that we can point people to on how to do that. But you have to change your leadership style from the all hands on deck, heroic, like get you know, done to taking a step back and saying, how do we get it done? Right. Because we've gotten good at just like making it up as we go and, you know, um, and just like you know, whatever it takes. But we no. have to start asking the question how. Yeah. Please explain 
what systems and processes are. And the reason why yeah. I'm asking you to explain this is because for some people that have never worked for someone, like for example, myself, I went straight from varsity to start my own business and I was never introduced to systems and processes. I just started from, um, from like nothing and just built the business and this and like systems and processes. I'm like, what is that? Until I read the book, E-Myth Revisited. So guys, yeah. if you guys want to really learn that, read the book, E-Myth Revisited. Please explain what systems and processes are for, yeah. the, for our listeners. There are two, two main categories of systems and processes. So the first one is the one that you're talking about with E-Myth. Um, there's another uh, group called EOS, uh, and they have a book called Traction, which talks a lot Traction, about it. Yeah. yeah. And so what those are going after are, are things that are, are basically standard operating practices. Right. When we get a new client, what do we do? We we create an invoice, you know, we check some boxes, we add their products, we do this. It's at the ground level, what do we do so that we can consistently deliver quality? Mm. That that's like basic, you know, at the end of the month, here's how we close out our books. At the end of the year, here's how we do our taxes. There is this basic threshold of systems and processes that's just necessary to get more than one person doing something the same way. Uh, what we're talking about with Whitewater is a little bit different because by the time you get to this stage, if you've got 30, 40 people, you've you've done the e-myth thing. You know, you've mm. probably done some of a, you know, something like traction. There's, there's a bunch of them out there, but um, you've gotten kind of the frontline standard operating procedures working. Uh, that's uh, otherwise you just wouldn't be there at that point. Uh, if you haven't, that's the, that's the first place to start. What we're talking about from a leadership level is actually systematizing and processing the way we make decisions. Hmm. So, uh, for example, I was working uh, with a company. They were a, um, uh, I, I wrote about them there, John and Rachel. They had a marketing company. And most marketing companies, you go out, you, you get one client at a time, and you just kind of, they, they tend to grow linear, like in a linear way. Well, uh, John and Rachel had a business where they sold to, uh, to, to distributors, and they would do co-op work for dealers. So they would go from, you know, they had like five, 10, 15 clients, and then they went to 115, wow. basically overnight because mm. they got a new dealer and then they were getting ready to add another dealer. Mm. And so they went straight from fun, you know, that early stage of fun right into whitewater, just massively taxed everything. Now, when it came down to making websites for people and doing stuff, they had a, they knew how to do that. But what they were struggling with was how do we keep everybody moving in the same direction? Mm. And that feeling is so intense that, you know, they were one of the ones who said, like, if we don't solve this, we're out. Like they're running a multi-million dollar marketing company, right? It's their dream come true. And the first time I met them, what did they say? It's like, we're done. Like we're at, we're at this point. We do not know how to move forward and it is not worth it if we can't move forward. And it's that same feeling when you get deep in water, white water, that's the same feeling that everybody has. Now, what did we do with them? Okay. Very first thing was we have to take a look at who is responsible for what. Uh, we have to recognize that 
not everyone can pivot and all run in the same direction on every single problem that happens. You know, mm. early on, uh, if it's you, you know, it, it doesn't take much to coordinate you. You know, it's like when you're over there, you're over there. Same thing, you have five or six people working for you. If you go to the right, they go to the right with you. Yeah. Uh, if you have 50 or 60 people and you go to the right, half of them didn't even see you. And so what you end up with is all kinds of people in different places doing different things. And so when I talk about systems and processes, the very first one and what they had to tackle first is, uh, again, massively boring term, the org chart. You know, it's, it's something that no fun organization has, but every Whitewater organization needs because the org chart is not just a representation of who reports to who. It's actually a depiction of how you make decisions as a business. And so by doing that for them, they were able to recognize, hey, as leaders, we've got our hands in all kinds of stuff that we have no business doing. You know, there are plenty of other people who can do that. And yeah, and, and by doing it, they recognized we have a lot of people doing things that don't matter at all. I mean, it was mm. something like 40% of the activities that them and their staff were engaged in, we just cut almost overnight because it, it wasn't necessary anymore. It was at one point in time. But now that the business had grown, they didn't need to do it that way anymore. Hmm. And so it's systems like that. We're actually systematizing the top of the organization, not the bottom. Uh, the bottom tends to have systems and processes. We recognize the need for those pretty easily. But when you have a, a, a someone who's starting, someone who's very visionary uh, in the way that they think, those are not systems and process people. Like you're saying, like, I, I never had exposure to systems and processes. Like, I just mm. made it up as we went, and it was great. Uh, that's what you're supposed to do early on. That's why people yeah. like you succeed as entrepreneurs, because yeah. you can do that. Now, the person who thinks in terms of system and process, their leadership is, is vital, but not in those early stages. They don't tend to be the ones that are starting organizations because Absolutely. they can't respond yeah. quickly enough. But they're the very ones that we need to add at a leadership level in that third stage. So, mm. yeah, to answer your question uh, that you originally asked, you can't avoid it, but you can minimize it. And you minimize it by systematizing the way that you lead the organization, the way that you make decisions. I love that. Guys, if you want to learn a little bit more about how to create capacity, there's actually a free ebook that's called Created specifically for the, for the listeners of this podcast. You can find it at capacityarchitect.com forward slash happy. I'm going to include the link in, in description of this podcast and also on the YouTube um, edition as well. The title is Creating Capacity, Take the business you built to the next level. Okay. And so, so a, a person can avoid it. A person can, can only, can, can only um, overcome that step where you basically need to, and what is the next step after that? That's the good stuff. So you, you, you come to terms with Whitewater right? Yeah. We haven't figured it out. We're not in control. We have to build the systems and processes that put us back in control. So when you get the systems and processes and you marry that to your visionary, like get it done kind of thing, and you pull those together, that's where the ability to scale comes from. That's where we move from growing 
right? Where we're riding the wave to scaling, we're making the wave. Mm. And, and it's that tension of system process, vision, creativity, execution, all held together that brings us into the fourth stage, which is called predictable success. And predictable success is that. It's where we can predictably move forward. We can grow to whatever size we want to grow within our design, designated market. So if you're in the United States, you can take as much of that market share in the United States as you want because you now have the systems and processes to do it. And the, again, the big difference between predictable success and, uh, and fun, they're both great places to live as a business owner. The difference is whether or not you are in control of your growth. Hmm. In fun, you have to ride the wave or you have to get off the wave. Uh, and, and you kind of have to, you have to deal with that tension because you can only get so big with that, with that kind of old style leadership philosophy. If you get into predictable success, again, you can ride that for as long as you want, as big as you want. Um, and predictable success is defined by the ability to deliver consistent quality in the face of complexity. You know, you've actually overcome the problem of complexity and you've not given up who you are to do that, which is mm. really, that's where the magic happens. And, uh, you know, predictable success, it, there's so many th good things about it. One, it's the best way to recession-proof your business, right? Because you've got the systems and processes to mitigate the extra risk, but you also have the vision and creativity to pivot when you need to. Uh, it's the best way to grow the business because you have, uh, again, the, the systems and process to, to do whatever you do repeatedly, right? So that's where you get the scale from. And then you've got that visionary drive to go do it. Uh, and and it's, it's holding all of those things in tension that really keeps you there. Okay. Wow, you like you are just throwing so many stuff at me and I'm trying to process every single thing. Um, in order for me to be able to ask you the next question, you know, um, so what is your take on people's, on people's, people's beliefs and, and systems that people also follow as well? Because from my experience, I, I believe that one of the things that actually prevents people from, from achieving the next level of their success or, or going to get to the next level is their limiting beliefs. Do you have any um, suggestions on how to, like on how to change those limiting beliefs? Yeah. Yeah, so what tends to happen at, at the individual level for a founder at that stage, uh, that whitewater, getting out of fun into whitewater, don't like it, how do we get out of that and into predictable success? Individually, here's what needs to happen. And you have to evolve as a leader. And that's where your limiting beliefs come in. So uh, what I, I like to use an example of, um, you know, sports teams. So uh, I'm in the U.S., so we'll use football, uh, mm -hmm. American football, right? Uh, so American football, you have the quarterback who's on the field, they get the ball, and they're part of every play on the offensive side, at least. You know, they, they're, they're organizing the offense. You know, every single play goes through them, and they make it happen. You know, uh, the offensive success rises and falls on the back of the quarterback. Now, what makes a great quarterback? 
quarterback, when they're recruiting quarterbacks, they're looking at their hand size. You know, they're looking at their height. They're looking at um, you know, the the time that they can spend making a decision, the time they spend in the pocket. They, they're looking at so much of the physical aspect of, of the quarterback. Well, what happens in, in Whitewater is you have to move from quarterback to coach. Mm. You can't quarterback 100 people right? You have to move off the field and you have to lead from the sidelines. Hmm. What does your hand size matter if you're a coach? No. no. Does your zero to, does your 40 uh, you know, yard dash matter when you're a coach? No. no. You, does your ability to, uh, to throw a Hail Mary 80 yards down the field matter as a coach? No. no. All of those things that you did to excel as a quarterback, not all of them, but the vast majority of them that set you apart as better than the rest are no longer relevant. Mm, mm. And so that's it does, about next it, level right there. Yeah, exactly. And, and but it's not linear, right? It's not because as you're a quarterback to be a better quarterback, you have to have more arm strength so you can throw farther. It's not about throwing farther anymore. It's about reading the entire game. It's mm. about knowing the move of the adversary before they make it. It's, it's about knowing how to inspire others and equip them to make the right decisions while you stand on the sideline, not as a bystander. It's active. You know, co coaches are very, very active in the game, but they are not touching the football anymore. Absolutely. And so it, it's... You know, we all have limiting beliefs all the time. And, and I would go as far as to say, we can't attack all of those limiting beliefs at the same time. And so what we need to do is focus on the specific ones that are holding us back from that next transition. And for many people in Whitewater, it's that they've, they've run out of time. Like, I don't have enough time to do all of those things. Well, it's because, you know, the funny part of this story, you know, if we extend our, our sports metaphor quarterback moves to coach. He's like, I get it. I'll be on the sidelines. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to behave. And then on the very next play, he sees the quarterback line up in the wrong position. And he's sitting there. He's like, he's biting his nails. You know, he's twiddling. He's like, I, uh, he's not, it's, it's going to, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so as soon as the whistle blows, he runs out on the field and pushes the quarterback out of the way, takes the ball and tries to throw it. Right. Mm. What happens if that happens in a football game? It's whistle gonna, blows play stops exactly. it's mm. done right you know yeah. penalty on the offense like everything grinds to a halt and and it, it would be laughable like that would be all over every sports channel around the world if that happened in the sports world we do that every single day as leaders inside of businesses i love that and so for us, the limiting belief is that it's up to us, that the company depends on us to get the ball across the line. That's not true anymore. Hmm. It was true. In you know, when it was just you, yeah. mm -hmm. it was absolutely true. When it was you and a handful of other people, you were the quarterback. You were organizing everything from the ground level and making it happen. When you've gotten to the point where you've got a full team of people who are capable of doing what needs to get done, you need to recognize that you're not on the field anymore. And you have to start focusing on building the skills of leading from the sidelines. Thank you so much, Scott. Guys, if you if you like to connect further with Scott, Scott has a website called the 8figurefocus.com 
And you can also find a figure focus as well on YouTube. There's a lot of very, very useful content um, that you can learn from Scott after this uh, podcast. And you can also find Scott as well on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can search for Scott's Reitzheimer, but I noticed that he wasn't very active, but you can find eight figure focus on all those um, social media platforms. Scott, thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. you being on Afterlife Video Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm Adewade Dejumo, and this is the Happy Like Buddha podcast. I would love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook, you can find me at Adewale Adejumo. On Instagram, at Wale Adejumo. And on Twitter, at Wale Adejumo. If you enjoyed that episode, please subscribe to the Happy Like Buddha podcast so that you do not miss new episodes we will release. And I will see you on our next episode.